In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizen's Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are blessed with a co-host whose passion for our republic precedes him wherever he goes. Raymond Wong Jr. Thank you, thank you. My hair is cut, but my mother did it, okay? So I did not violate quarantine, thank you. That was a PSA. (laughs) This is episode number 16. We're in season two, and unless I rename it, the title of this episode is Freedom from Religion. So if you can guess it, Ray and I are going to be talking all about this wonderful freedom that hasn't quite made it into the roster until now, which is funny. Uh, We were talking about it behind the scenes past couple of days, and it's like, well, you know, early on season one and since then, We've leaned heavily into knowledge, science, reason, you know, all the fundamental philosophies, these great capacities that we have as humans, um, just focusing on those. And, and time is now, is due for us to talk about religion and where it belongs. Well, we should because it's been part of our lives constantly. Religion is in everything we do and everything we interact with in a way the religion is so deeply ingrained in in society and it's purposeful it's it's powerful and it's a tool it's a mechanism and it's part of this entire vehicle that we all are participating in in our country so religion is so important because it's it is mentioned also in the constitution so it is within our guise to review it is a, we we have the right we have that 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 re, the read the freedom of religion right but we're talking about the freedom from religion as well, which is the other side of this coin. So before we jump in even deeper, I think because this is, um, it's a sensitive, it can be a sensitive topic for some, although in our society, it really shouldn't be. And I think Ray and I have already made a pretty good case as to why talking about religion should not be sacrilegious in our country. Um, especially because it's enshrined in the Constitution with very explicit verbiage that doesn't require much interpretation to understand clearly. So let me just share a little bit of my perspective so you can understand where I'm coming from. I'm going to ask Ray to do the same, although I think you've already shared a little bit, so I appreciate that. But my my passion and, and appreciation and mm, skepticism of religion goes back to being a youth. Ray and I talked about the fact that, you know, we we grew up with science fiction, we grew up with Star Trek, and, you know, we were inspired by some very big ideas and very grand visions for human society in the future. Um, and so as we continued to, you know, grow up and evolve through our lives, religion would continue to come back time and again and, and touch us at, at different points in different ways through different people. From my perspective, I think it's really important for us to not lose sight of faith and not lose sight of our texts 
our texts, there are books of literature. These are ancient humans that wrote us messages to carry on through time. We should never lose that. Just like any great um, you know, construction of narrative that came from Greece back in the days or, or even in the United States, you know, we, we study literature. And I think it's really important for those books to be retained, but retained in their lane where they belong. These are books like any other book written by and for humans, period. Those are the facts, undisputable facts. Nobody disputes the facts about Moses. Well, I'm going to say Moses wrote the tablets. I'm just going to say that's a fact. I, I don't know. But Moses was a human. That's indisputable. Yeah, we've got these ideas of prophets and things of that nature. But if anything of the stories are true, which they are stories, so we don't know what is true, but they were humans that we know from the stories. So I don't think we need to go much further than that. Well, we can we can put it a little bit into historical context for us, our fellow Americans, right? We all know that the founding fathers came together and they used parchment to create a document which we all live by and we all have faith in today, correct? So, so it's not completely unfathomable that with very limited resources in the desert, they used what they had and stone carving was a very astute skill during this period. They used what they had and they made some tenants and they said, as we cross this desert or as we travel together in, in the worst conditions possible is what Moses and his people faced, right? They had to come up with some ground rules. All right, everybody, ground rules, ground rules. We set the rules. That's the tenants of government. Um, I, so I am not, I cannot put it away that it's extremely possible that he decided to mark something down on paper, much like we did. Uh, but there was no paper available. So what do you got in the desert? Lots of stone. Thank you, Ray. That's amazing. Cause I had a visualization of like um, the Mayflower, the original right settlers, because they went off course and they had to re reconstitute their contract with one another when they landed. <laughs> it's the same freaking thing. It's like, Hey, we're all alone. We're here. We're going to do something. It's going to be a hardship. Let's stick together. Because that's what humans do, evolutionarily speaking. That's when we survive. When we were, even when we were down to the hundred or, you know, some small hundred number of humans, we almost went extinct a very long time ago on the eastern coast of Africa, I believe. You know, that's where all of our mitochondrial DNA gets traced back to this one group of females or this one female just so fascinating because we as a species again only survive when we come together and we collaborate so with that said you know these are books these are this is information it was transferred from the past to us now we should understand it but that's about it as far as faith you know i i find that faith is really useful on the boundaries of knowledge <clears throat> I firmly believe in science and I firmly believe in humans' ability to recognize patterns and try to work things out. And we will continue to, excuse me, we will continue to push forward the boundary of the light, the boundary of knowledge of information. But past that boundary is a fog and we can't see past it. 
but we can theorize about it. We can create hypotheses. That's how science works. That's how we move the needle forward because we make guesses. We test the guesses and figure out what's, what's factual, what's verifiable, repeatable. So I feel like, you know, over time, if there is something like a God, if there is some energy connecting all of us, I think I might have talked a little bit about it on one of our behind the scenes episodes. You know, if if science does come to bring that to bear, well then then, you know, at that point I can say, well then this energy to me represents God. Other than that, I let, I think it's important to have that. We have science where we know things where we all can point at it, look at it and see the same thing. And then we have the boundary beyond that from which we all have to use our imagination. We have to think, well, what could be the answer? It's very important. We need to be curious and open to possibilities. And so that's where religion goes off the rails for me. And I segregate religion from faith. I segregate religion from literature. I, re, religion stands alone um, as its own institution of human-made power structure, just like any government. It's just not necessarily has a national border, has a cultural border, a cultural border that emerges from people who subscribe to the faith, to that religion part of me. I want to separate yeah. the word faith, right? I don't want to lose this too much because uh, you said it, you said imagination earlier. So I want to get back to that. So I've been thinking through this exercise so far that freedom of religion means that um, freedom from the con the constraint of imagining. So I'm glad you kind of said that because it spoke to me. It was, it was kind of a religious moment. And you, you said that imagination. And that's what I think we're asking for is not for you to give up on your faith, not for to give up on your belief system, but to free yourself to imagine what the possibilities are in, 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 in this experience in life and what comes after that you can question without being blasphemous, right? I guess that's what we're saying is, I guess if I have to break it into real religious terms, there's no blasphemy in, in, in experiencing life and questioning the unknown. You, you're free. That's the, that's the freedom the, the uh, founding fathers gave us. Thank you, Ray. And, you know, and it reminds me too, it's really important to remember that there is no official religion in the United States. Ultimately, I mean, our as we've been saying, right? The documents gave us the express rights not to have to join any religion. And it's, it's really interesting when you look at how these power structures have pervasively come to bear on the operation of our system, where there are unspoken religious litmus tests for running for office um, in certain aspects, right? Like, if you are someone who does not subscribe to any particular faith system, religious, you know, organization, you you almost have to come out of the closet or stay in a closet. Like, there's this weird um, sensibility about it that's uncomfortable for a lot of people on both sides of the fence, uh, because most people who are devoutly religious haven't indulged that curiosity to understand why somebody may exist outside of their religious organization. 
And it always blew my mind growing up because the fallacy was so clear the moment I realized there was more than one. I mean, there's more than one flavor of Christianity. It came to the United States and had a Cambrian explosion of religiosity, right? We have so many flavors of Christianity in the United States that that in and of itself as a fact should breed skepticism or curiosity in people, you know, but the but well, it, it, to it, your it, point, Ray, <laughs> these systems are designed to, what is it, mitigate your free, rational, critical thinking activity. I mean, for, for the most part, the way all of these religious organizations, they interpret the book for their purposes, and then they dictate to their followers what it says or how to follow it, what to believe, what is the truth, what what facts are to a certain degree. And what happens is, is when they force or they, it's an indoctrination. It's, you know, it's, it's also, they're taking advantage of functions of evolution. We can go into the nature of this over another episode. But the point I'm trying to make right now is that these systems require people to give themselves willingly and uncritically, unquestioningly. And then once they have flocks of members who are doing it specifically, at least around theoretically the religious texts, they can start taking those translations and applying them to aspects of our society that should not have religion applied to it, like science. You know, and historically, as a kid growing up, I felt I felt safer living in the United States because I knew that our system supported science. It may always scared me because of how pervasive religion was in and around me as a gay child. I'm very, very aware of everybody's religion. And so, you know, it was a weird conflict, this weird thing in me. It's like, I feel safe because our system seems to promote science and industrialization and all that. But the people I'm around don't necessarily get that there's, you know, there's a conflict there, right? They have no problem accepting both on their face. And that always disturbed me. It's, it's that cognitive dissonance, which you've spoken about a lot, um, which is out there, but I, I got to get back to this too, because we, you, one thing that really kind of struck me. And as we're talking through this conversation, I'm remembering, and you and I connected because we both went to St. Timothy's, right? Which is a, yes. which is part of the Roman Catholic church. And that was very confusing to me because when I learned that certain people like my neighbors were not part of the Roman Catholic church yet, the Roman Catholic church is supposed to be the only official church, right? And it's the only real one. And, and I, so it, to me, it has a pope, uh, right? It has a pope, and that's like that's a poly, like, It's a polytheistic it's, religion. Well, anyway. it's the original. It is. Yeah. It is. It is the. It's the old one. It's. It's. It's the. It's the one that's been trying to endure, yes. and it's. It's done pretty good, and uh, it's done pretty well for itself. But the thing is, as a as a as a youth, I heard that right. I said, "Wait a minute." So there's some churches that are under, but then there's other churches that are not under, and there's all these other churches. Like, and I questioned it, and this is. In the business world, this is, you know, something that I bring to the table. I always question the process. I think professionally it's called a pain in the ass. Um, but I, I, I always, always push back and question it. And so the, as a child, I still had that um, pain in the quality. And I, and I was always very 
I, I just didn't make sense to me. Like, how is God all powerful yet? There's sects of religions and they don't all subscribe to the Roman Catholic church, which is supposed to be the main powerful. I, so thank you for better or worse. St. Timothy's killed it for me. Cause I was, I could see through the, the, what is it? What am I saying? The, the, the hierarchy issue or the, 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 the true adherence to God was not there. Yeah. And do as we say and not as we do. I mean, that was always evident as a child. Children learn through observing behavior before speech, before learning how to speak or even understand speech necessarily, right? It's all body language. And so you've grown up as a child accepting that there are certain behaviors in your, in your family or in the world. And then Later comes the language that teaches you the religion that says that that's all that's wrong or, you know, sinning and this, that and the other thing. And like, oh, my goodness. Well, then that's where it begins. It's like, wait, why are people behaving that way? Oh, demons. I'm like, oh, what do they look like? <laughs> you know, it, it, I agree. I, my curiosity was a problem. Um, there weren't enough answers, especially after I became aware of science, like because that just logically fit in my mind. Um, and it's powerful, you know, science, reason, all of that is, it's just so powerful. And, and so I, I, you know, religion, you can't escape it. I mean, I wasn't able to escape it. And so my journey took me in to explore it. So I thought, well, maybe this is just the wrong one. Cause I was, you know, I'm born in Connecticut in the eighties in the Northeast. Um, we were I was an Italian in an Italian neighborhood and, and all Italians are Catholics. That's just how it goes. Um, so I was born into Catholicism I, and I went to Catholic school for a period of time. But uh, all it did was make me more unsettled or more confused. And so then eventually I started taking college courses on religions. And the more I learned about religions, the more I loved them. They were so fascinating. I mm -hmm. saw them from such a different perspective. I grew this amazing appreciation for these creations, these creations of humanity. Um, and I feel like it's, it's an anthropological study. It's weird to me, you know, you take an, a world religions course in a in a college and I, I didn't take it. I took it in a, in, you know, a state run college. It wasn't uh, any, it wasn't Catholic or anything like that. And so this person, you know, brought a very objective view and she even had a favorite. She, she preferred Judaism. She wasn't raised in that faith tradition, but as somebody who studies them, she says, you know what, if I was going to identify with one, the one I identify with most is Judaism. And truth be told, I also identified much with Judaism because it encourages people to have their own relationship with God, to question him, to debate her, it, you know, but you do that with yourself. And, you know, it's a human struggle that we all go through. To me, that's faith. You want to have a relationship like that? You can tell yourself it's God. It's just you in your head. And that made a lot of sense to me because that's kind of how I worked things out. And it just seemed more in alignment with accepting how people live their lives and not trying to necessarily control it. Now I understand there's the Hasidic sex and all of that. And that's different. So, you know, anybody who goes fundamental is outside of bounds of critical thought, in my opinion. So I'm, I'm not going to spend much time on fundamentalism because to me, I would just take 
all of those things. Anybody who believes too much in any one thing and isn't open to critical thought, that's just one big basket of individuals and they all arrive there through different methods. But religion is a, is a major delivery system. Well, fundamentalism is bad on any level. Fundamentalist uh, militaristic, mm -hmm. fundamentalist academia. I, I, yeah. I, I do believe there are extremes in any direction you can go in life. All of these, any human con construct or anything we've in introduced, including religion, has the potential for abuse, uh, manipulation, or exacerbation through the human condition. So we, that's the challenge is making sure we're always trying to mitigate and control the human element because religion at its base had good. Religion at its base had intention, and that was to calm the masses, to provide a sense of accountability and morality and guidance. That was its intention, but it was hijacked. And it was turned into a commercial mechanism. It was the, I think we mentioned it earlier, right? It was the first economy. Church, the church, the religious system was the first economy. But I, before I go down that path, geez, uh, I, I needed to ask, were you kicked out of Bible school or whatever? Catechism? Was that what it was called? Were you Catechism. kicked out? Um, uh, what is, is that? Like I, I, was, I was kicked out because I'm that bad. Um, and I, and I, I'm so bad that I lied in confession. Because they're like, oh, you have to tell the sin you made. And I was like, well, I have so many. So I lied. I even made up a new sin. So I, I like double lied and confess. I don't know if that's like you go to hell twice, but uh, sorry, I, I, I was that bad. Well, we'll we're going to find out about all that eventually. Unless we cure that one too, because death may be a disease. Um, No, I didn't. I never got kicked out of any place. But if I stuck around long enough, I would have. I kind of always saw the tea leaves. I saw the writing on the wall. The looks on faces usually was enough for me. I know where I know where I'm wanted and where I'm not. And what was most sad for me now that we're talking about it and I'm reflecting on it on the first time, seeing, remembering people's faces from catechism, um, believers horrified, skeptics relieved. It was always a mix. And I felt so sad for the skeptics when I left. Cause I'm like, well, I hope you guys leave too. Cause this, this is BS. I mean, you can sit here and try and cherry pick what you want. You can go through in cafeteria style <laughs> catechism, but not for me. And I always felt bad because it was always like, there were always people who saw that I'm going to call it a leadership quality. Cause I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was asking the questions that were on some other people's minds and it was very interesting because you want to know where you stand or where anybody stands on anything, bring up anything slightly controversial. So you'll see the devotees immediately change their posture and the people who are still open to critical thought will like their ears will perk up like, Oh, what's that? What am I hearing? You know, they're more curious. They have a curious demeanor, not a, I don't know, an offended demeanor. I don't know if you have anything to add, but uh, just that the I was in a meeting one day, I'll say, and I won't say when it was exactly, but I, I saw exactly what you said. Um, I'm, I'm more divisive these days in all my interactions. And it's strange because people have come to meetings with me and made buzzwords. I'll just use an example such as Black Lives Matter. And they've used it in discussing something with me when I haven't brought it up or mentioned anything about that matter and uh, just because I, and just because i got 
I become controversial again because I've been controversial in the past. And in, in today's meeting, maybe a couple months removed, I'm controversial again. They are going there. So this individual, again, like you said, their, their true colors show this individual said it. And I was clear that I said, I didn't even bring that up, but since you did, you know, that let, let's talk about it. Uh, but it, it was shocking to me that they thought I was talking about social justice. That's the word I used, right? Social justice is every, and so I did clarify that social justice is everybody's issue, um, but they tied me and social. So again, like you said, People are going to show their true colors. You don't have to ask someone, hey, what's your true colors? Be de divisive. And that's what I've told everyone in all my meetings. I'm being slightly divisive until, until I get run out of the room. Yeah. It, it's an interesting phenomenon. And, you know, I, I'm, I've, my life, I've been more of an avoider than a fighter, I would say. You know, I fight when I have to. But... So yeah, I never, like I said, I never stuck around long enough to get kicked out, but it was inevitable that I would have been asked not to return. Um, I was always asked to be quiet. <laughs> I didn't like that, as you can imagine. Um, so crazy. Um, I think now's a good time for a quick break. Here's a message from our sponsor. At Citizen Do Good, we want to empower all citizens to participate in their republic in a reconstructive way. With that goal in mind, we need your help to stay on mission and grow this community. Please rate the podcast with five stars on iTunes, through the app on the web, or on your device. If you don't feel like you can give us five stars, let us know why on our sponsor's Facebook page, Citizen Do Good like and follow it to help out even further. Also, make sure you join our newsletter at citizendogood.com. You'll get updates every couple of months on all of our antics, not just the podcast. While you're there, check out the shop, which has your favorite merch and provides a way to make a one-time contribution to help us pay for producing and hosting this podcast. Feel free to share any suggestions you have directly through the Contact Us page. Thanks for your support. If you go back in time, uh, I think you will always see that religion was a very powerful tool of manipulation. I like bringing up um, in ancient times, they had technology that like pulley systems, right? Basic technology, right? But to the, to the average person um, during ancient times, a pulley system was extremely complicated and, and it wouldn't make sense. And the religion had control of that. So one thing I, I learned about that they did is you would go to this temple and, and then and the, and the, and the priest would say, oh, you know, the, the, the temple, the doors in a very ancient language. And, and these doors would open these heavy doors made of gold, or precious metals, which you couldn't afford, which were so heavy, right? But yet these doors would swing open without the priest touching it. And it was just a simple pulley system, right? Someone below the base of the temple, pulling a simple strings and, and not strings, but ropes and causing these huge metal doors to swing open and reveal a statue. So these simple uh, effects, these simple, uh, uh, if you will, um, uh, mechanisms of, of manipulation really 
would awe people and get them invested in these religions during ancient times. And I, it's interesting how hungry the system has become and how well established it is, you know, and I, and I was just thinking here about how much it's, it's, it's systematically created itself and sustained itself for so long. And look at how well it's done. You know, our democracy needs nurturing. Our republic needs nurturing. You know what doesn't need nurturing um, is the religion and people's dedication to it. Um, our post offices are in dilapidated states. They are falling apart. Some of them are underfunded using old vehicles. You know um, whose fleets and whose buildings are in perfect states? religion or religious organizations, the main ones, you know, there's a couple sects out there that are trying to make it, you know, trying to make it out there against the big guys. But uh, for the most part, the religions are extremely well-funded and they are, they're well-managed and they're not taxed. Uh, there's an issue here. Our, our government itself is trying to keep the doors open and they're trying to save lives and the churches are trying to keep their doors open to keep the money coming in and true colors are being shown. So I, 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 I don't have a lot of sympathy for the struggling masses in the churches. Uh, the, the facilities seem to be in top condition. You know, it raises an interesting point because I, I, as a thought experiment, absent of food pantries. I don't think they're doling out any medication. So absent of food pantries, if those facilities were shut down tomorrow, nobody would be dead on the streets. So, And, and how large is its effect, right? To, to be truly effective, they've got to technically go semi-non-secular um, as an organization, but I, St. Mary's Food Bank is, is a large organization and and, you know, what is their direct affiliation? I'm not, I'm not sure exactly. I know that when I volunteered for them, I had to pray. I did. I mean, I didn't, but they wanted us to, I didn't get kicked out that time, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. None of those systems are set up to solve the problem. They're just trying to mitigate the worst parts, but also bring in parishioners. Um, I always used to admire Catholicism. I still admire Catholicism. It's so amazing. Um, the opulent structure. It's not democratic in any way. It reminds me of China's government or something, right? It's like, <laughs> you're, you know, the Pope's always elected by cardinals, cardinals, it's all politics, but um, they've been really good at surviving. They've been really good at financing themselves um, through, you know, whatever it takes over the centuries. And they've also survived through adaptation. The interesting thing that you see about when you look at, especially Catholicism compared to Islam, you know, any of the major three, I, maybe people can support this argument across all religions, but as far as Catholicism is concerned, it's done a good job surviving the ages by adapting, by incorporating into its DNA, the RNA of religions that it tried to stamp out, did stamp out over the years. Like it acquired all the Roman gods. It acquired like um, pagan, so many aspects of paganism, like all of these religions that we don't really know about on a, in a broad scale or are celebrated on a broad scale anymore were probably the ones that were most threatening to the church over the ages. And they have found a way to integrate their likeness into their own. So can we go through, 
can we like the Borg? Like, and, and I can't help but anytime that word comes up. But the if you think about um, religion, so some of our favorites, let's go through them really quick. Christmas is, of course, um, the winter solstice for the pagans. And it has more to do with the sun being in a certain position in the sky than it has to do with anything else. And, and, and that's really important. And even decorating a Christmas tree is, is ancient, right? So I think we've spoken about this either on behind the scenes or, or in other episodes. But it's important to remember that, the, that, that, that Jesus was not born on that Christmas day. That that is, they aligned Jesus' birth with that holiday with the pagans to get some sort of appeasement process. Same thing, Jesus's birth and death and rebirth on Easter, which is again, another pagan holiday. So the pagans were a major group to be contested with. And that's why our religion circle around it. It was, it was a settlement between the pagans and the church. Like you said, Michael, the, the church was good at absorbing. They, the war was over, but there, there, they had to find a way to move forward, right? And the solution was, first, we're gonna reset the calendar, everyone, and we're gonna have Easter and we're gonna have Christmas. And they did, they did, they did a big remix of the primordial ooze, which was their religion that they were controlling at the time, right? And they and, they, and that's what we have. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think Jesus was actually a Scorpio, not a Capricorn. You wish. <laughs> I think he was. I don't, I'm pretty. I don't know why it's my. For some reason, I recall him actually being born in November. The loner. The loner. The loner. <laughs> Think he's got to figure it out. Yeah, it's got a good sting. Yeah, sounds like Jesus. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, disappears for forty years and comes out with all the answers. They do that, right? They go, they burrow in the ground, and they like disappear forever. And they come out, and they're like, "Hey." So make no mistake. Don't forget either that uh, prophets are a dime a dozen. I mean, the more religions you look at, the more prophets you see, and the more their stories seem so similar, so unoriginal. It's like you know what? Once we had a blueprint for how to create a religion, (laughs) the printing press came. Go to a place like India where they've had time for their culture to develop over a long period, uninterrupted, uninterrupted, you know, unlike, you know, China, which has had a lot of different challenges, but which, which is also still a plethora of religion, right? Just different religions, evolutions of religions, but go to India and it's so immersive and they've got so many gods because they've been doing it for so long in India. They are like into religion and the, the, the abundance of gods. I think there's somewhere, there's hundreds of gods, right? If not thousands, I can't recall the exact number. Someone will have to enlighten me. Yeah, there's a fair number of them. That is for sure. So I'm going to go ahead and switch gears and let's talk a little bit about what all of this means, why we're even talking about it, right? It's, we're not, <laughs> we could have a totally different episode if all we wanted to do is religions all day there's just not enough time people have been doing it their whole lifetimes and you know it doesn't make much of a difference but our focus is around self-rule and our focus is around the republic and i feel like religion is a existential threat now to our system of self-governance and that is an issue that is an issue a major issue and you know, I, there's two sides to every atheist type 
group of people, right? One of us wants to live and let live. You know what? They have their religion. Just don't knock on my door. You can have it. Leave me alone. I don't want it. I know all about it. Um, Live and let live group. And then there's always been, you know, the more radical ish uh richard dawkins and those of you know who will actually go to the debate stages they will debate religious people scientists who are religious whoever it doesn't matter because people are religious in all ways and walks and shapes so um it was interesting because i was listening to podcasts called humanize me uh, another one of my favorites and uh the host uh bart had a, a guest on david c smalley and they were talking a little bit about, you know, um, how how David's style is different from Bart's. Bart's more live and let live. David's more, he has a podcast where he actually invites people on and actively has a discussion. It's not a debate. It's, you know, it's a discussion to try and inform each other, right? Every they They make this comment that I love. It's like, we're all victims of bad ideas. Um, and both the atheist and the religious devout are going to that show to save each other. <laughs> one to save the other from religion, the other one to save the other one's soul from hell. Um, so it's like the stakes couldn't be any higher on either side. Ultimately, the point I'm trying to make is this. David won me over. I can't be supporting live and live anymore because of so many things climate change being first and foremost but he's like you know i'm driving on the freeway with these people so these people i'm using air quotes for you know the idea of a a religious zealot who goes so far into the text that they somehow think they're not going to die and they're going to do this great thing Um, and they end up killing other people right so we are sharing the freeways together we our children are going to school together our big hour i don't have children but um, you know, we, we all have to interact in society and we have this representative system, this republic that requires us to agree on facts. We cannot steer this ship. And this is why I feel like there's that whole group of people who wanted a dictator who, you know, hates the idea that there's so many voices at the table. No, we just need one way. It needs to be simple and it needs to be right and it needs to be righteous. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. The old way. Less religions, less voices, less colors. The old yeah. way. Yeah, we, we cannot. And it, it was always a problem with science. I mean, I've always, but because industry, because business, we're both, we're business guys. Ray and I, you know, we, part of the, I suspect the reason why we love business and, and things like that is because they are based in reason generally speaking. I mean, we're more like bankers than business people. <laughs> um, so that is numbers. I mean, it's facts and figures. We, we don't always work with numbers, but we know A plus B equals something, right? And, and we're, we're solving for that. And if it has to change, it changes, right? We work within systems. We, we have faith in facts, reason, science. And find systems that must balance They always balance. I've been in the industry for so long and everything's great when it balances, but the moment it doesn't balance. And and that's the thing is when you live in a, it's almost like we live in a constant state of always keeping, you know, you're keeping the balance. There's so much coming in. If you imagine banks process probably upwards of 
I don't even want to try to guess, but I know billions of transactions a day for one institution alone. And they do it like clockwork. And it's all about this great balance that we try to strike every single day. And it's almost like we've, I've been engrossed in it for 20 plus years now, just this obsession with making it balance. And that's the same thing I want to do with the Republic now, just the balance. It's not, there's no right way. Everybody gets a credit and an offset. The system keeps perpetuating itself because every day there's new offsets and there's new balance and there's new questions and there's new ways. And we yeah. invent new tools to do financial transactions. We're learning with Zelle. That's a very new thing. It's very hip. I understand Zelle people use it. Yeah. Well, it's not a banking podcast, so I'm going to take us away from that for a minute. Um, but to the point is this is if you were out of balance, Ray, how much faith and how many religious texts would you read to solve that problem? Zero. So, you know, when you take religious solutions outside of a religious framework, they don't work. You need logic. You need reason. Everything else is not built on which religion, first of all, like which religion, because there's so many. Um, I, I, I can't even get over how many flavors of Christianity in the United States there are, but I digress. So the point is this, uh, just like with social justice, just like our one true history as a people, uh, one true history or one many true histories as a species, it all has to congeal where we interact, where we intersect where somebody needs to conduct a business, exchange goods using some common currency and to operate under some set of common rules, right? Um, we always talk about, you know, murder, murders, murder was in the first 10 commandments. It's, you know, we still say it's wrong except for self-defense. Um, you know, we made that decision. That doesn't mean we're a Christian nation. It's just a good rule. It's, it's a pretty good rule, right? If you want to build something cooperatively, which is the only way we can build anything, um, and especially in the system that we live. So that being said, we all need to check ourselves. Um, you know, we, we need to be aware of where some of these influences might be creeping in where they don't necessarily belong. And so that was part of the impetus of having this episode specifically about religion, because it's a risk. It's a risk to our entire system, and it's a risk now to our species if we continue to allow denial of climate change. Now, what's scary is the religious ability to suspend your um, critical thought has you know bled out into politics and has bled out into business um, propaganda for big oil companies or you know any any embedded power structure that has a self-interest to retain what it's acquired has been adopting for centuries. I mean, I'm not saying this is new, but we have to be aware of where these things that are self-interested adopt these positions that may not be good for us all of us. It's good for them, but it's not good for us as a whole. And climate change is a huge existential crisis that Ray and I were talking last night. I was a little concerned because I'm not seeing the clamoring I would expect. As a matter of fact, it's all buried under Texas. 
And I don't want to minimize what's happened in Texas with the power, um, the literal electrical grid, not just the figurative power structure. And I even heard stories, I don't know if it's true, and I don't want to pass on propaganda, but if it is true that the closest friends of the utility companies retained their power while others lost it during that crisis, if, if it does become true that that happened, I think there needs to be some consequence because that is that is the epitome. I'm not going to be surprised, dismayed, yes. Surprised, no, because it's just another indicator on the dashboard telling us something's wrong with the system. If you know some people are getting power for their families, we know some people are leaving on vacation. So there's two things, right? On one side of the fence, text, it's all about Texas. On the other side of the fence, you know, it's all about crews or whatever. Feel bad for people, yes. And then, you know, point at crews is a bad example, but nobody's talking about why this is happening in Texas and what it means that it's happening. And it's not about Texas. I'm sorry I'm saying that word so often. This concept of a polar vortex, which, you know, is pretty recent um, to our memories in the United States. You know, that cold system, that cold system used to stay above the North Pole pretty religiously without a text. It used to stay there. Funny how that happens. Um, science is hopefully going to come to bear. It already has, and nobody wants to tell us the truth because it's really scary. But it used to sit up there, and it used to freeze the ocean underneath it in the North Pole. Well, separately, I can find articles about North Pole Arctic ice not forming and separately find articles about freezing in Texas. But I have yet to see the article that's tying those things together, that that disk of cold air is slipping. Imagine the disk over your knee, your meniscus. It can move around, right? Well, imagine this one can slip and dip around from the top of the globe and it can and drop down over any country at any time, just depending on where the climate's highs and lows are. And it's changing. This is what climate change is. This is what it means. What was predictable, the cold in the north, <laughs> is becoming unpredictable. That was um, a very powerful visual. I, I have to ask you to stop messing with my kneecap like that because that <laughs> was painful. But it's 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 you're you're seriously correct that we have this issue that we've distanced ourselves from, and all I can think about is unfortunately phrases like. Um, it's in God's hands or it's, you know, in things like that, like be, distancing yourself from a matter is not what we need. It's actually, you need to lean into your, your world and you need to lean into the planet while you're here and the planet you're leaving for your children, regardless if you think you're going to a better place, which is another person's term, right? This earth does not have to be so scorned. We made this world. This is a human construct. So everything we're living in, the experiences that just happened, the lessons learned, we have to lean in. You can't just give it up to God, which is another term out there. There's a lot of this phraseology that allows you to just distance yourself from being accountable to your fellow Americans, because we do owe our fellow Americans a sense of accountability, the nation owes them if the state isn't responsible enough or the leaders in said state. That's why we have a federal government is to step in and save the greater good. 
we are all citizens. It's the Constitution, because the yeah. Constitution says. And, and our citizenship comes from that. It comes from the federal government. We are not citizens of Texas or California or anything like that. We are United States citizens. So that's our government. <laughs> you move you move across state boundaries you're still you you're that's well, your they're here to protect you that's the reason for the fe- and people don't get it the federal bureau of investigation can we just revisit it one more time sure. for the sake of it that slaves traveling from the south were excuse me former slaves who were now elected officials traveling to washington were being murdered duly elected officials so the original purpose of the federal government is to protect all of us meanwhile our states are riddled in i guess practice or whatever they're doing to try to the they, they are the incubators of democracy right well not all right created now, equal <laughs> they are the gerrymandered version of that which is which is a bastardization of the system yeah. hmm. okay. all right that's it i i appreciate that we we're, we're again focusing on solution is not a dismantling of religion however like michael said at the beginning of the show is putting it in its lane the lane is what's important we have rules we all follow the rules when some cities better than others but we have these lines that are on the street that we follow we don't drive into oncoming traffic you know we've evolved past the point where there has to be a physical barrier keeping us from driving into each other. I'm amazed always that when I pass the Golden Gate Bridge that there is no barrier in between really to to the lanes of traffic. It's just that cognitive understanding, right? So if we can engage that deeply in driving, we're just asking people to do that. Free yourself from religion and put it in its right lane and start driving, driving your life. Mm Yeah, I, I miss, I, I'm going to say, I miss the good old days, like when my grandmother had the ability to, you know, take the parts of faith that she needed or, or worked for her, but that she never threw away science or reason or logic. She could still have a debate or a discussion or an argument that was, you know, that possibly she'd had to change her mind or she would change somebody else's mind. That's natural. That's something we should expect and practice doing. And it's scary because this idea that I'm right and that makes it true is a problem. Um, And I honestly feel like it's been, it's, we haven't educated people. It's like a slow erosion of everything, right? We, we stopped really teaching people things. And then there was more religion starting to get introduced into schools. and, And it's just all become this malaise that nobody can see through. Just really frustrating. So let's try and bring it down. I'm gonna I'm gonna call out some practical practices that we can start thinking about and trying to do in our in our daily lives and in our interactions with our coworkers and our peers and you know anybody who's religious going to church. We're you know we're not gonna tear any. We're not proposing we're banning religion or closing churches or anything like that. But back to the comment about in the lane, it's like, well, what, how much capital in society should be devoted to that system? Because there's a fair amount. Ray made the point. The capital, that capital has, I'm going to use voodoo economics, but an opportunity cost, right? Um, when, because, because that capital came 
from somewhere. And so that capital could have gone somewhere else. It could have gone to sustaining, creating, doing something in a new business or whatnot. I don't know what the alternatives are for those dollars necessarily, but I think we need to be more cognizant and by and large when we have one segment of our society that is detrimentally suffering, you know, and then there's a whole other segment. We know this inequality is huge, but it's not just about rich people and big business and and things of that nature. It's also about how we're treating one another and where we're creating others. We have to be careful about it because we evolved. We were talking about this on behind the scenes before the episode, but I was making the point that you know we evolved in groups and out groups because next to you know a saber-toothed tiger the next most dangerous predator to a human is another human if it's not a cromagnon or a neanderthal or you know back when there were more versions of us walking around um we've always been our own worst enemy we're our, we're our smartest enemy and that's never changed um and unfortunately we just need to be aware of that and we need to be cautious about it because just because you belong to a different religion or someone doesn't belong to any religion doesn't make them your enemy. And the reason why I bring that up is because on numerous occasions over many years, I've had very close individuals confide in me that they believe that Islam is the most dangerous religion on earth. It's just a dangerous religion. And I don't know if this point you can understand how that's chalkboard, that's nails on a chalkboard to me, but it really is because I'm sorry, you can't pick on anyone. They all belong in the same basket. They are all bad systems in my mind. I don't care what name you pick. If there are people running it, I'm skeptical of it, right? Business has rules. We legislate those rules. We change and, and, and adapt those rules. We elect representatives to control those rules. None of those things exist in those power structures. And now they're allowed to tell you who to vote for. Now they're allowed to tell you where to shop. Now they're allowed to tell you how to treat your neighbor. And it's usually not with kindness. So there was a fundamental problem for me too. It's like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> that was the Old Testament with the Ten Commandments. We don't follow that anymore. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> Okay, so now we don't. Now we hate each other. That's that's the rule. <laughs> Sorry, that, that was written in stone, and we're in the digital age now. So every time you get to renew it, and so uh, so every age you get a new pay version. So, but it, I think that as you were talking about this whole um, prioritization, where we put things, religion is a good exercise, and in, in, in it's a thought exercise, right, or thought experiment on 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 how much we've misappropriated our resources look at these structures churches in particular look at how much um, economic activity has been invested in those buildings and those locations what if we put the same amount of concrete um, land into social services right what if we had as many homeless shelters and education rehabilitation drug treatment centers instead of these churches. The churches dot every single street. They're more convenient than Walgreens. And imagine most of them, they're used probably 1% of their entire life. 
right? They're, the capacity, probably 1%. And, and of course, I'm using crazy, you know, like numbers here, but think about it. If they're only really, their, their major day is Sunday, it denotes that for the most part, they are empty 99% of their time, yet we've dedicated so much energy, money, and focus to them. And it's kind of the American experiment. We are, the building is empty. We're not utilizing our gifts, our art. We're not utilizing our democracy. We're not utilizing our lives. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I also have in my mind the friends that really go, they've sought out a church or, you know, community center. They're pretty big, some of these things, surprised. Um, specifically for a sense of community, um, to have a place where, you know, you, I don't know, you're, you're getting along with people for some reason or another, whether or not it's over a religious text or not. This group that happened to got together in this church, you like hanging out with and they're, you know, the kids seem good and, and all that stuff. And, and now if you're, you know, sick in the hospital, you know, you've got people to send you flowers or, you know, if somebody passes away, somebody's going to make a casserole, right? It's painful for me because there's no reason why we can't have those systems in our society absent of religion. It's painful because religion has found that point to exploit. And I don't know how any of this could or would potentially be coordinated, so I'm not going to suggest that it is, but it is an interesting happenstance that the state is inept in its ability to provide sufficiently for people that the church helps fill that gap, that there wasn't some kind of, you know, unintentional or slightly intentional or happy coincidence type situation that occurs, right? That makes people destitute and need handouts from a church because we haven't structured our society in a way for care to care for people properly. And so that's something, that's a major solution. You hear Ray and I talk about, you know, basic incomes and things like that for a reason because it's a solution to a lot of things that have become invasive and, and have perverted our system from where it needs to be. This is a little off script, so I'll see if you'll come with me on it. But I think that I just kind of had an epiphany that, you know, maybe religion was the first social media that we use social media for that sense of community. But what was church every Sunday you put on your best clothes, you put on your best face, you tell your kids to smile, you put the kids are on their best behavior once a week, right? Just like Facebook, we can post the best picture, the best angle, the best filter. Church was the first Facebook. Facebook thought they were innovators. They just picked up the old game, the community. Yeah, they were innovators in digitizing that those relationships. That's where I forget who it was on one of the podcasts I was listening to. It was so fascinating. That was the first time I really grabbed onto the perspective that, you know, a lot of these technology companies are just digitizing assets that weren't, you know, that, that existed in the material world, but had no way to be quantified for revenue. <laughs> right we've always had social interactions we've always had relationships but there's never been a way for a company to make money off of it until facebook and they digitize they it's like when we passed property ownership laws on this land in the united states 
I mean, when before the original founders of the U.S. arrived here, you know, there were no there were no parcels of land. <laughs> we invented that. Um, so what happened was, is we made we turned land into a commodity, and now there's money able to transact against it. So Facebook took our relationships and made them tangible and in, in a way that they can generate revenue from it. And it's and happening. Can we not forget? Um, yeah. Because you're saying it, the church generated revenue from our sins. I don't know what they were called, right, Michael? Oh, but um, uh, Martin yes. Luther challenged that. It was, um, it was uh, it, confession. Yeah, I forget what the exact. There was a very specific, but yeah, the right. church used to revenue. Your sins used to be a source of revenue. How fun is that? Hmm. Very logical. God wants money whatever that happens to be. At the was time. it penance? Is that the right thing? Is that what they would buy? Paying no, penance. Just... Paying, yeah, because today paying penance is prayer, using prayer. But I think I it imagine, was monetary. I bet it was. I'm sure it was. I can, I, it sounds familiar to me. Oh, gosh. So fascinating. They even controlled the printing early on, too. I mean, the, only, the first book to be mass-produced was, was a Bible because the church had the means to do it. We've lost some of the beauty of the Bible. Like I, I've seen, and I, cause I'm a, a Victorian guy, right? So I, I love that history, but in the Victorian age, uh, it kind of fell off from there, but their Bibles had been more of like a family record and you'd keep history and you'd write stories and, and, and draw images in your Bible. And so it was this huge book that was very, very deep. And I, I think the problem was that it probably had other older stories that needed to be washed out. So they had to do a cleaner Bible. Yeah, I don't. I have to admit, I've not seen a Bible prior to King James. They did a good job. Yeah. So I'm going to close my comment on Islam and just say, hey, guess what? Any religion is a tool. It's a tool made of tools, and it can be used for good, bad, and anything in between. And if we can't, if you can't get subscribed to that, understand that religion is a human construct and living. Um, one thing we mentioned before the show to each other was that the, the Mormons or the LDS church is a, a religion that is fresh, you know, give it maybe 200 years. I'll give them a little more credit than golden due, tablets. And they were golden tablets. It's better than, I think that's a lot better than stone yeah. um, because you got smelting technology and stuff in, in the forest. Uh, so when, so that's, and, and, and look at it, it's established, it's legitimate, and they have every right, because that is the beauty of our nation. That is the beauty of the freedom our Constitution affords us. And it shows that religion is what you want it to be. Yeah. And I think the Mormons probably have the popes, if there's still two, maybe there's just one now. Shaking, yeah, shaking in their little toe, boots, because... The Mormons might be better at economics than the Catholics. I mean, they own huge swaths of farmland and everything. I remember reading an article probably 10 years ago um, where a, a journalist was trying to quantify their assets, but it's exceptionally difficult because the number of entities they've used to shell it all unbelievable um well actually it's completely believable and it makes perfect sense it makes logical sense a sense of community, sense. Sense of community yeah. though definitely kindness and caring for for the in group beyond anything else but not for the out groups um and oh, that no. is just taking advantage of evolutionary 
behavior in us, right? That's not, that doesn't lend any credibility to the arguments. It just shows that they've found a nice little dividing line to take advantage of. So, you know, on the side of solutions, because UBI isn't coming anytime soon. Sorry. Were you going to say something? There are solutions, right? So like, well, I guess there needs to be a cleaner, a cleaner segment. I I can only speak from, you know, here in, and I don't know if it's changed, but in Arizona, at least in, in Mesa, the, the LDS church is very powerful. And so there are LDS churches, or there is an actual church building on the school, just off the school property, if not on property, right across the street and students go as one of their classes right? So yeah. Yes. And how can there be that link between public schools only because the church is powerful enough in this state or this community? And that, that or so enough, solutions start enough at home. people subscribe, right? Yeah. When we right. say, well, just to be clear, when we talk about power of, you know, these churches, it's, it's from their parishioners, right? So the church has power, not because society believes the preacher, or because the government believes the preacher, because the people who go to the church believe the preacher, and then that group of people comes out in mass and makes a lot of noise and makes it seem like this is something that the people want or need in a lot of ways. So it's we have to be cautious because there's two, there's many flavors of power that they enjoy, these religions. And it comes to, you know, influencing masses of people, like I said, either for voting or in this case, making sure there's school choice on off-campus seminary study options. Um, I hope that an equal opportunity is given people to go to something like uh, uh, an institute of technology, like we did, right? What was it, Voit? V-O-I-T? It is true. And then the largest school district, one of the largest school districts in Arizona, did seem to have a little bit of balance there. But it was probably more of necessity because of their economic situation. And I mean, Mesa, it was a tough situation in general. Well, in ultimately, really, the point to come back to, I remember being appalling, was that the the Mormons were the only religious organization that had a seminary on the boundary of the campus. Like you said, and that was really exceptional. I had never seen anything like it in where I had grown up in the in the Northeast. You know, anything that was for catechism or seminary was really attached to a church somewhere. And unless it was a Catholic school, there wasn't necessarily a school nearby. Um, but the, the church is strategically located, at least at least here in Arizona, you know, because we're we are a model post-industrial society. Mm-hmm. So every school has a church across the street. It, it's almost like clockwork here. Um, it's so succinct, but I'd imagine it's like that across the nation. Uh, it's just, there's just, there's a close proximity and close indoctrination possible po- policy. That's why they banned cigarettes from being advertised too closely to schools. It's the same thing. You, you need to push certain things away from the influence sphere and let education be education. On that note, I think we're going to close out with the the easiest thing we can ask you to do to start edging in. Because, I mean, when we talk about solutions, it's it's just going to be the practices we can do on a regular basis. And we'll try to keep bringing them up to um, maybe push back some of the pervasiveness of this in our thinking. So first, we're just going to leave you with one activity, which is be curious. 
ask questions, accept the answers, issue no judgment. You know, I just do what you can to be more open to more truths. And it's not just good for your religious brain um, to free it from religion, but everything, because the system that we operate in, as Ray and I will continue to talk about, isn't necessarily um, set up for our benefit. So we need to always be, you know, cognizant. We need to be um, curious, asking questions, and being open to answers. And there's probably many, depending on what the yeah. question is, right? And there's no right answer, right? And that's the beauty of religion. That's the beauty of this American system is we get the freedom to dream up whatever we like. We get the freedom to challenge. And we ask you that. So I think the solution, again, is not a dismantlement, but a new lane, a new superhighway of thought that we all get to join in and we get to join equally. It's not a place of judgment where you come in as trying to save me or I come in trying to save you. A place where we say our personal lives are this. Together we join as humans because there are certain things we all need. Water, food, maybe electricity is now a basic need. Those are the core discussions we need to have. And those are the core solutions we need to focus on. Not who's right, not who's up there, not who's down there, but who's right here on earth. We're asking you to be a humanist and focused in, but not give up everything you are. Just lean in with what we all are, what we all know we are, which is a living, breathing thing. Amen. For anybody who's out there um, who isn't familiar with humanism or that terminology, I think we might have been throwing it around. I mentioned atheists earlier. I think that's probably more of a common term out there. But humanism is not atheism. Humanism is, in fact, a system of belief that is human-centered. It is human-centric. It is about the betterment and continuation of our species, which, in my mind, should be, more so now than ever, our first and foremost priority. So if you haven't heard of the Humanist Manifesto, check it out. It's If it sounds scary, definitely check it out. <laughs> um, you know, if, if you're try and be familiar with the principles of loving the neighbor as yourself um, and, and the fact that that's existed since before the Bible, you know, there's these teachings have been taught time and time again throughout the eons. Um, so far, they're the ones that have survived through those great filters from the past. And, you know, if you're not familiar with the ideas of equality that humanism pres prescribes, please check that out. You know, most of everything that Ray and I talk about when it comes to inequality issues, social justice, climate, these are all existential issues to, to us and our pursuit of happiness. And so we, we hope you'll make an opportunity to start familiarizing yourself with these things a little bit more often because learning is lifelong. So with that, um, the last thing I'll, I'll mention, because I'm not trying to endorse anything in particular, but try and see if there's any kind of organizations, humanist, atheist, or otherwise around 
where you live. Uh, now we're in a Zoom world, so it really doesn't matter where you live. You can easily access, um, if you love Sunday services, you love that sense of community, singing, sharing stories, learning about life and death and relationships, but from a scientific perspective, from an objective, rational, what we understand, what we don't understand perspective as humans coming together to talk about life, not using old books, but using new knowledge. I find that Sunday Assembly, that's the name. It's the name of an organization. I think it was born out of the UK um, by a couple who were, I believe, comedians. Don't quote me. Again, I'm not selling it, but I have attended a couple of Sunday assemblies, a couple of Sunday assemblies through Zoom, and it was great. I I really enjoyed it. I'm, you know, for me, it's just a struggle to show up and do this on a regular basis to get me to <laughs> do anything besides maybe go to work or something. Um, sometimes it's a challenge. I'm always trying to introduce new habits. But if you're someone who has Sunday free, for one reason or another, and you want to try out a new community, it's through Zoom, it's, you know, no obligation, no cost, check out Sunday Assembly. And I think with that, I will um, stop my sales pitch. This episode probably ran over, but it's a, a worthy discussion to have. So we have been your hosts. Thank you so much to Mr. Raymond Wong Jr., and thank you, uh, Mr. Piscatelli. It's truly been a penance to thought. Oh, it's been something, that's for sure. For more information on this and other episodes, head over to citizendogood.com and click on podcast. While you're there, hit up our contact us page and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community. We are always have special thanks we have to give to our listeners we save the best for last you're the best you have been for years thank you for your support we know it's painful and we love you intro music sampled from okay class by ozzy jock under creative commons license through freemusicarchive.org other music provided royalty free through fisley and studios inc <laughs>